Hello, I'm Zeb Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. The topic today may be one of the most timely, charged, relevant, impactful topics I've discussed to date on this podcast series over the past eight years. We're going to be exploring a very real, very immediate, very widespread, and and sadly, a, a very adversely impactful example of what I believe is racial bias in American healthcare. And more importantly, uh, our guest, I think, believes that. Let's dive in. Our guest is Neil Friedman. Uh, I'm not going to read a standard bio because our guest today is anything but standard. He is an unusual entrepreneur whose career path has led him into healthcare. Neil began his career, as I understand it, in textiles. Um, His path has led him from that to dealing in the toxic waste business, to the ice cream business, to the antimicrobial business, uh, dealing with molds and, and I think in households and, and then to the weight loss business along the way. And there's so many stories I've heard from him and I I've read about him, but along the way he brought uh, the yogurt TCBY to China. I think more notable than that. And more recently is the work that he's done in the black community. He did get into the weight loss business and he brought that into black churches and into the black community. And for my talking with him, just really impressive work to try to educate, create awareness and bring solutions uh, to help that community deal with the issue of nutrition and physical activity and weight loss and quite honestly, health. And, And most recently, Neil has entered into the domain of pulse oximetry measurement. Neil, I'm gonna hand this over to you right now. And I just wanna ask you this question because we did not get to this when you and I spoke last week. Amazing career. This last part of your career, how did you transition into this field of pulse oximetry? I mean, I know you were dealing with weight loss and weight management and particularly focused on the black community, which is probably an entire story in and of itself. I know it is and an important one, but how did you make the transition? How did this start? When did this start? Because you had, as far as I know, no real background in this particular area of healthcare or medicine. Everything that we were doing was hardwired. And what ended up happening was that Bluetooth came about. And so those days of when you had to connect things really reverted to now you could send the information to your phone. And I got involved in medical devices that would communicate via Bluetooth. And then I was contacted by a company in China that is primarily one that supplies most of the, um, uh, when you go into a doctor's office and you have your blood pressure and your pulse oximetry taken, they were the leader actually within the American hospital system. And that's pretty much who the American hospital system was using. And actually the man who was responsible for developing these devices and was really a genius, decided to leave the company and through connections, I was contacted and he asked to speak to me and I went to China and I sat down with him and he had an incredible device. It was a handheld device 
that would take all your measurements. You know, it would take it would take your your pulse oximetry. It would take your blood pressure. It mm. would take an ECG, your temperature, and it was extraordinary. And I said, okay, I'll get involved with you. And he was applying for an FDA approval. But I said, I think I'll probably be out of business by the time you get FDA approval. So what ended up happening, I was very, very fortunate. And the Congress of the United States put a lot of pressure on the FDA because the regulations were too strict. Okay, this was not something that could harm you. This was just something that was giving you information. Mm -hmm. So in 2015 or February, the Congress uh, legislated a new law and they allowed devices like the one I was talking to you to come into the United States and did not have to be FDA registered. But you had to state on the, on the box that it was not a medical device. Mm -hmm. You had to make sure that you weren't diagnosing that all you were doing was providing information and you were allowed to bring this device in. So that's how I really, the evolution of how I got from the diet to the medical device business. And that was in 2015, and technology kept on changing. And then I went from a handheld device to a device that you wore on your wrist with a meter on your finger to monitor pulse oximetry to the device that today I sell, which is called the Circle Plus, and it's made by Bodymetrics. And the, the unique properties of this particular device is it's a ring that you wear on your finger. And I'm sure, you know, everybody has seen rings today advertised on television. And the company that has the rings that's advertising on TV has really taught the American consumer that you could take it off the wrist and put it on the finger. But those rings that you see are really more rings uh, for what I call the healthy individuals of our country, whether it be a ring or a wearable like a Fitbit or an Apple Watch. Those are what I call healthy devices. And those are devices that monitor you but really are not medically accurate okay mm -hmm. and they give that person information that they want they have an app that's very interactive and they start to make you aware about your health yeah the importance of that neil is uh, you know i quite honestly i'm learning from you here uh, i i wasn't even aware of the accuracy versus inaccuracy of these devices that are sold but that's different from what you have been working on, which is actually a medical device that has clinical level accuracy. I just want to be clear about that. That's so what correct. You're doing that's, is how, that's, that's how I divide the, the, the world, if I can call it to you that. And there's nothing wrong with the people buying those devices. They, they're getting what they want, and it's terrific. And, it, and frankly, it, you know, it's, it's getting people to understand themselves, but it's not accurate. We, on the other side, like you just said, Mm -hmm. drove towards medical accuracy. When I got this device, I knew that in order to prove medical accuracy, I had to work within academia mm -hmm. and with clinical companies mm -hmm. to show the accuracy of the device. For those who aren't in healthcare, who aren't familiar with oxygen measurement, it is one of the most measured biometrics, right? It is just ubiquitous. And it's not just standalone devices in so much, uh, so many other devices that are used in healthcare, in clinics, a pulse oximeter device or machine is actually built into larger uh, machineries and larger devices. So it is ubiquitous in healthcare. It's used for things like if you have a heart attack or if you have heart failure, or if you have any sort of lung disease like 
chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or bronchitis or what we used to call emphysema, or if you have something more acute like pneumonias, right? And at any age, right? Young, old, right. viral conditions, even flus, right? It's used in, in things like pregnancy and birth. It's used in sleep apnea when there are problems with sleep. It's used in asthma. It's used in allergic reactions. It's used in the treatment when people have lung cancer. So, you know, it's just ubiquitous. And of course, the most recent, I think what's catapulted the pulse oximeter, the finger oximeter into everyone's awareness is COVID-19. Right. Because, And we'll we'll jump into that in a minute, but I just wanted to kind of give that background. So it is it is used in in literally dozens of different conditions and disease states from chronic to acute to traumatic. And the important thing that I want to bring out in this podcast is the fingertip oximeters, which I sometimes draw the analogy that 40 years ago, when hypertension became a focus of our community, everybody ran out and bought blood pressure devices. Well, with the advent of COVID, as he was saying before, all of a sudden, everybody ran out to their Walmart, to their Walgreens, clinics gave it to them, hospitals gave it to them. This was the thing you had to have to monitor your blood oxygen with COVID. This was the immediate answer and then the immediate response by the healthcare system and what we had learned from television, how to take care of COVID ourselves. So the question I have for you is, when did you discover that the measurement, this pulse oximetry measurement that was being done in hospitals, in clinics, in doctor's offices, in surgical suites, in people's homes, when did you discover that it wasn't accurate? And in what cases, in what specific case wasn't it accurate? I am blessed. My chief scientific advisor is Dr. Mayor Krieger. And Dr. Mayor Krieger is from Yale University and called the father of sleep, to be frank with you. And he actually, way back when he started his, and he also, by the way, discovered sleep apnea. He's the first one to diagnose sleep apnea. And way back, he used to use a machine from the Hewlett Packard Corporation. You know, we all think of HP as a computer company, but they were a medical company back in the 70s also. And Dr. Krieger has always said that that was the best machine he ever had. And as that machine went away, he started seeing the replacements for it, and he started re recognizing the inaccuracies in pulse oximetry. And when Dr. Krieger came on board, he started telling me about this. Right about the time he told me about this. What, what year was this, Neil? This was in 2019. Okay. Really pretty much at the beginning of COVID. Okay. okay? And uh, in December of 2019, the University of Michigan published an article in the New England Journal called basically saying that there was a discriminatory problem in pulse oximetry. Mm -hmm. And right after they published the article in the New England Journal of Medicine, the next week, the New York Times published an article also about pulse oximeters being inaccurate for people of color. And when we talk of people of color, it's the melon in their skin, and it's from Chinese to black that they were talking about. A week after CNN actually did a piece on the inaccuracy of pulse oximeters, and then a week later, three senators from the United States wrote a letter to the FDA, and it's basically titling it as the article that was in the New England Journal, 
non-intended racial discrimination. And it was Senator Wyden, Booker, and Warren that wrote the letter to the FDA. And frankly, they got back a very poor answer from the FDA. And the momentum of the problem started gaining more and more articles kept on coming out. And, and actually, in November of 2021, the United Kingdom, actually the Secretary of Health there, launched an investigation into the death of Black people due to pulse oximetry. Hmm. And what and it kept on going and more articles kept on getting published. And then at the end of May of 2022, John Hopkins did an incredibly large pulmonary study. I don't know if it's the largest pulmonary study ever, but I'm sure it's right up there, of 7,000 people in 12 hospitals over 18 months. And they used a method that is called ABG gases, arterial blood gases, to monitor the patients in this study. And arterial blood gas is a very uh, difficult thing to do and very painful. And from the results of the study, they basically said that people of color were misdiagnosed for COVID. So things kept on increasing, increasing. And then the medical community was getting really outraged about what happened. And they ended up, the FDA ended up calling an emergency meeting in November of 2022, the first mm -hmm. week, I sometimes call it democracy week. <laughs> and in that meeting, the doctors and medical engineers really ripped into the FDA. And they said to them that they lost, people lost their lives because of pulse oximetry. And really saying, what are you going to do about this? And why did this happen? And there really wasn't a good answer, okay? And as we all know, there were thousands of different pulse oximeters that were on the market, and they weren't regulated. In January of 2023, in the Journal of American Medicine, there was an article written about pulse oximetry and the fact that people knew about it for 40 years and said it was, the problem was racial bias hmm. and actually spoke about the anti-discriminatory laws that HHS, HHS has. Mm -hmm. um, we are just going back, if I may, when I became aware of the problem that Dr. Krieger told me about, and we already knew that our ring was working properly and we had the results of tests, ABG gas tests, similar to the Hopkins clinical trials, we actually went to the FDA in February of 2021 <laughs> and met for an EUA meeting, emergency use application. We all know the word EUA because all the vaccines got approved during that time through an EUA. And frankly, there were other devices approved. <laughs> and we wanted to get our device approved to help people because we knew that people were being misdiagnosed. We were rejected. And did not feel very, very good about that. And walked out of the meeting, not understanding how we could get rejected. And we didn't feel that the FDA really looked at all the information we presented to them properly. We continued our battle, just to take you further, and submitted an application to the FDA about 18 months ago. And it took us that time period to finally get our device approved in August of 2023. And it was really a landmark approval. And the reason why it was a landmark approval is frankly, 
not first of all, not too many pulse oximeters have been approved by the FDA. Mm-hmm. But in the in the approval, the FDA spoke about our form factor, and the form factor of the ring really is the key to how we were able to have not have a pigmentation problem. And this really goes back now to where we were talking about the devices versus healthy versus health. Those healthy devices that mm-hmm. people are using today, as I said, they're great devices and people like them and they get some information about them, but they're not accurate. And the reason why they're not accurate is we should stop calling the category wearables. Let's call the category sensors. Mm-hmm. And what we understand from sensors is if you want to get a measurement on a sensor, that sensor's got to be stable. Right. So I know you all have your Fitbits and they move on your wrist or your Apple Watch moves on your wrist or your Aura ring moves on your finger like a wedding ring, but it's not stable. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that you can get a medical accurate number. Our form factor has given us the ability to do that. And what, what happens is, is that we end up having not so much like a ring, our device looks like a nut on your finger. And we have two vertical extensions that go down on the ring and expand and contract the ring. Sensors are on the bottom of the ring. Neil, let's, I'll come right back to this. Let me just review a little bit of this timeline you were talking about. I looked at back at, you know, I won't go further back than this, but apparently this has been known for quite some time that pulse oximetry measurement in people of color, you know, specifically black people is not as accurate as in white people. And there is a disparity, if you will. There was an article in 2005, there were a couple of articles I saw in the anesthesiology journals. These are peer-reviewed journals where they discovered this and they were writing about this more than once. So this is going back now 15 years or longer. And I suspect there that, you know, based on our conversations that I went even beyond that, but February of 2018, an MIT study uh, finds gender and skin type bias in commercial artificial intelligence systems, basically describing skin color biases in commercially available technologies at that time. December 2020, I think is the landmark article you were talking about, this correspondence from the University of Michigan Medical School and the title of that correspondence. This is in the New England Journal of Medicine, December 2020. The title is Racial Bias in Pulse Oximetry Measurement. And in that article, I'm just going to quote a sentence here. This is their conclusion. In two large cohorts, and when they mean large, they mean thousands of patients. Um, If you look at the article, black patients had nearly three times the frequency of occult hypoxemia that was not detected by pulse oximetry as white patients. Given the widespread use of pulse oximetry for medical decision-making, these findings have some major implications, especially during the current coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic. And they go on to say, our results suggest that reliance on pulse oximetry to triage patients and adjust supplemental oxygen levels may place black patients at increased risk for hypoxemia. But then I see it goes on from there there is a bit of a skip over from 2020, although I think that's this is the study that was quoted by Senator Elizabeth Warren. And she right. writes this letter, and she writes to the acting commissioner of the FDA, Dr. Janet Woodcock. This is January 25th, 2021. This is three years ago. 
yeah. um, almost three years ago, we write to request that the FDA quickly conduct a review of the accuracy of pulse oximeters across racially diverse patients and consumers. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has had disproportionate consequences for communities of color who have mortality risks that are significantly higher than those for white Americans. And she goes on to request, she has seven questions and she wants some action. And as you point out, she points out the literature too. Um, she goes on to say, skin pigment appears to matter to pulse oximeter measurements as demonstrated by the 2005 study, a 2007 study, and the recent 2020 study that Neil, you pointed out, which found that low levels of oxygen in the blood of black patients was nearly three times as likely to be undetected than in white patients. Yeah, simply put, this is Senator Warren, simply put, pulse oximeters appear likely to provide misleading measures of blood oxygen level to patients of color, indicating that patients are healthier than they actually are and increasing their risk of negative health impacts from diseases like COVID-19. It is unacceptable that the efficacy of these devices may have a direct negative correlation with a patient's amount of skin pigment. I, I mean, she just goes on and on. She calls it, this is three years ago. I, I just want to expand upon that if I may. Please. That study was also quoted. It's incredible what I'm going to say. When COVID hit, you know, and we had, uh, it's me, one of the things that is burned into my brain hmm. was seeing those containers with people's bodies inside them where we didn't even have the space to put people when they passed away, unfortunately. And New York City tried to do something proper, but you talk about blowing it. This is this is it. Right after that happened, New York City wanted, decided that they wanted to make sure, because we identified that the majority of people that were dying of COVID, unfortunately, were people from the minority population, a lot of them that had metabolic syndrome, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so they decided to give out pulse oximeters to the entire minority population. So they give out these pulse oximeters and a, with a five-page paper. And on page three, they also quoted that University of Michigan paper, right? And here they were giving these pulse oximeters out, but saying they may not be accurate, according to the University of Michigan. So to me, I'm just totally flabbergasted by this, okay? I think the implications are profound. And and you know, it's it's not just that University of Michigan correspondence in the New England Journal of Medicine. I mean, again, I looked up these other articles and it seems to me there's been a bit of a flurry of them. But even in to your point, in March of 2023, the NIH, the National Institute of Health, actually updated their treatment guidelines for COVID-19, right? And they recommended ameliorative actions to counterbalance pulse oximeters, known deficiencies by, for example, ensuring close monitoring of clinical progress. So they knew they updated their guideline because they basically understood that the pulse oximeters in black people were not measuring appropriately. And what they recommended is that you have to use clinical follow-up, et cetera, et cetera. In May of 2023, so just this year, in the American Journal of Epidemiology, the title of the article is Racial Disparities in Pulse Oximeter Device Inaccuracy and Estimated Clinical Impact on COVID-19 Treatment Course. In June, of 2023 of this year, May, the Mayo Clinic proceedings, right? 
They have an, uh, a study that validated the smart ring oximeter in individuals with dark skin pigment. And actually in, in August of this year, there's a study in an article in JAMA, right? Just as this August, clinical outcomes associated with overestimation of oxygen saturation by pulse oximetry in patients hospitalized with COVID-19. There was actually a New York Times article based on that study in JAMA. And the title of that New York Times article from August 24th of this year is Faulty Oxygen Readings Delayed Care to Black and Hispanic COVID Patients, the study finds. So again, yep. this is your story, but this is this is a story that now has been out there over the past few months. Um, this November 1st, 2023, there is a letter that was sent by the Attorney General of California, Rob Bonta, and it was signed by 25 attorneys general from 25 different states with uh, Rob Bonta. And he actually starts it off by saying, today is the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the FDA's public meeting to address concerns related to pulse oximeters, race, and color bias. Since the convening, however, and this is what Rob Bunta writes, since the convening, pulse oximeters continue to be sold without clear warning labels or other guidance to protect individuals from harm. We, the underside attorney, uh, undersigned attorneys general, write to encourage the FDA to act with urgency to address the inaccuracy of pulse oximetry when used on people with darker toned skin. And he goes on to say, basically, Neil, what you said, talking about the pandemic, where black Americans were more than twice as likely, more than twice as likely to die of the disease as whites. He talks about the research indicating the inaccuracy of pulse oximeters. And, and he says, point blank, pulse oximeters were designed and calibrated using lighter skin tones. They tend to overestimate the oxygenation of blood for people with darker, darker skin tones, leading to an underestimation of their need for healthcare and exacerbating already serious risks. And this is the, I'll just read one more sentence here. This is what he says in this letter, 25 attorneys generals from 25 different states signed this and sent this November 1st, this is two weeks ago, to the FDA, to Robert Califf, MD, the commissioner of the FDA. And finally he writes, it is an imperative that the FDA act now to prevent additional severe illness and mortalities among darker skinned people resulting from inaccurate or misleading pulse oximeter readings, as well as an inadequate diagnostic and treatment protocols and procedures. This is particularly critical as the nation moves from a declared coronavirus public health emergency to a still dangerous endemic phase. And I could go on, but again, I know this is tedious. I know I'm repeating some of this, but I had to make sure for myself, Neil, that what you were telling me was accurate. So I looked up these articles, I printed them out, I read these letters, I read Senator Warren's more than once, I read Rob Bunta's more than once. You know, this has been known now for many years. It's been written about, studied now for a number of years. There is an acceleration of articles and trials and studies proving this. And I guess the question I'm going to ask you is, are you aware of anything that's happening now, clearly you're involved from your device. And I want to hear more about your device because I actually think that is incredibly hopeful that we don't have to sit here and scratch our heads and say, oh my God, how many years is it going to take to come up with a solution to figure out how to measure oxygen accurately amongst black people and people of darker skin? 
there is a solution out there. It's approved, right? We can launch this. We'll get to a little bit more. I want to hear, I want you to share a little bit more about the device and all that. But, but the important question is, I, I mean, I, I'm sure people are asking this question. I'm asking myself this question. Why hasn't the FDA, why haven't we moved faster on this? And what's your experience with that? Because you've really been fighting this fight for, for a little while now. It's a very difficult question to ask answer. I just want everybody to be aware that when I saw this letter from Rob Bonta, the, the Attorney General of California, mm. I immediately wrote a letter to him mm. and to another Attorney General and stating to him that there is a solution to the problem. Okay. I know that they're not going to sell my device. I'm not, they're not there to help me sell sell my device, but they're there to know what's going on. And it's a little bit ridiculous that here we are, have our state attorneys writing this letter in November, and the solution's been available to everybody since August 29th. So there's a lot of things that make no sense. Well, so so the when you say the solution's been available since August, this August. Yes. Yeah. And so it is, I mean, legal, legally available is the best way. FDA uh, uh, approved available is the right. best way. And I think it's really interesting, Neil, that you're right. As I read the letter by Rob Bunto, again, this letter was sent to the commissioner, Robert M. Califf, MD, the commissioner of the FDA two weeks ago on November 1st of 2023. He mentions nothing about a solution, so he may not have been aware of one, but he does. I mean, his point, basically all he's asking is he's listen. There are four urgent actions he asked the FDA to take. One was, you know, put warning labels on pulse oximeters in plain English so, and, and with pictographs so people can understand. Two, include similar warnings in other medical devices because so many medical devices have pulse oximeters built into them. So he just said, right. let's put the warning on there. Three, update the FDA's uh, November 2022 safety communication on pulse oximeter accuracy and limitations with more recent information. So he just wants an update. And four, issue a letter to healthcare providers about the risks and reduced efficacy of pulse oximeters for darker skin patients and include, he's saying, include the NIH's March 2023 updated treatment guideline. So he's basically just asking for the information, for education and awareness. And I have to say again, I have not, you know, in full transparency, I have not spoken to any of my colleagues uh, to pulmonologists or critical care doctors, or I, I just haven't spoken to ED doctors about this issue to ask them. I mean, I'm curious because I was quite ignorant, to be honest with you, but I'm not practicing now, but still, I, I just wasn't aware of how, of this problem and how serious and that it was lingering. I'm curious if physicians are aware of this or not. Do, do you have any sense of that? Because clearly the attorney general uh, of California and 25 of his colleagues across the nation believe that most people, the public and most clinicians are not aware of the situation. What's your take on that? I'd say a high percentage of the doctors today are not even aware of this problem. But I also want to bring something up to you, which is really even more startling. I want you to think about this. Okay. With the emergence of COVID, we, mm -hmm. we started doing extensive telehealth throughout the United States. And telehealth is the future of medicine. Remote patient monitoring is absolutely the future of medicine. So I want you to think about telehealth. I want you to think about every specialty vertically down in a hospital. They're all using telehealth, whether it be pulmonary, cardiovascular, eye, ear, nose, and throat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now they're conducting telehealth sessions. Probably 40% of the population of the people they're talking to is of color. Right. And 
all those people that are giving those specialists in all those different areas are using fingertip oximeters. Mm -hmm. So diagnosis, doctors are making diagnosis upon metrics that are inaccurate, potentially for 40% of the people that they're talking to. Neil, there's so much more to be said here. I understand this, but let's sort of bring this to a conclusion by, I, I do want to give you a chance because I'm amazed. I mean, you don't come from a clinical background and you don't actually come from a technology background. And yet you've created a series of these rings that, um, and your most recent one, which is incredibly sophisticated. And I want to give you a chance to describe, you know, what, what you've created and, and also, yes, it was published in the Mayo Clinic proceedings, uh, a validation. I think it was, was of your ring, right? Correct. And yes. so if you could maybe, maybe in just a few minutes, talk about, I know you started before to talk about the device itself, but if you can just share with folks what you've created, I don't know if there's anything out there else on the market to compete with it yet, but uh, why don't you share that? Because I, I do think it's hopeful that there is something out there. Well, first of all, there is nothing else out there that the FDA has stated does not have a pigmentation problem. And our secret sauce, if I can call it to you that. Yeah. Is, is our form factor, okay? Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the story that I told about the stabilization of sensors. Mm -hmm. So we found a way mm -hmm. to stabilize a sensor on the belly of the hand or the non-pigmented side of a person's skin, if I could say that to you. If you're of color, your pigmentation is on the back side of your hand. Your palm side the pigmentation, you tend to be white, pink, or yellow, you might say, on, on that palm side of the hand. So that we have created a way to stabilize the sensor and through reflective technology have the sensors on that palm side of the hand that were able to get medically accurate numbers on people of all colors. Hmm. And this That's is a, literally a ring. It's a ring, but it also at the same time provides something that's very, very important. I believe the future mm -hmm. is self-monitoring. Mm -hmm. So this ring does continuous blood oxygen, continuous heart rate, continuous temp finger temperature, continuous heart rate variability for a period of 12 hours so that you can sleep through the night and in the morning wake up and see the metrics of your health. The other thing is it's taking a reading every second. Devices that are on the market that, you know, are those healthy devices usually take a measurement every 15 minutes. So no doctor is going to make it. Not, not only are they not accurate, but even if they were close to being accurate, they're not taking the measurement in, in that continuous manner. And what I try to excuse me for saying the word prescribe, but try to help people when they purchase our device and if they call us and talk to us, is that they take that measurement throughout the evening. And in the morning, we also have an ECG and blood pressure device on it, right? And these are not FDA approved, those measurements. I just want to make them clear. clear. Mm -hmm. But you can take those measurements and get, you might say, a good picture of your health or what we call baselines of your health so that you know the numbers continually in, if you take it at the same time. And if you see those numbers deviate or, or peak or hit, hit an unusual peak, mm -hmm. you could call your doctor or you know and say, I'm a little bit concerned about these particular numbers. Yeah, 
That's amazing. In I just the... want to make it clear that what is approved by, well, let me make one other yeah. thing yeah, please. very, very clear. What is approved by the FDA is our blood oxygen and our heart rate. Thank you for clarifying that. With your ring, what's the percentage if you if you have that number of missed or misaccurate uh, underdiagnosis of low oxygen in black people? For all people, I'm going to say our ring is plus or minus 2%. 2%. So that's that's amazing. That's right. So that's actually, it's even more accurate with white people. Than, it's accurate. Than, I'd, I'd rather yeah. just say it's accurate. Right. Because in that's in the, at least in the U University of Michigan study, 6% of white people who had right. low oxygen was missed. Right. Um, so this is actually, well, I, I appreciate you saying that, that it's, it's for all people and for people of all colors. So that's my biggest concern. I just yeah. feel that we in this country should have equal health care for all. By the way, what's the ring called again? The most recent one? The FDA approved version is the Circle Pro, and we have other Circle versions that we sell also. And Circle is spelled C-I-R-C-U-L. C-U-L. Our website is C-I-R-C-U-L dot health. And on our website, we have an interesting tab. It's called Healthcare Inequities. And if you go to our Healthcare Inequity page on our website, you'll see all of the information that we really spoke about today. That's great. Thank you. Uh, appreciate you saying that. So the website again is circle, C-I-R-C-U-L dot health, not dot com, just dot health. That's all you need. Circle dot health. Great. And uh, go to healthcare inequities. And uh, I think it'll be quite disturbing. Neil, th thank you so much. And I hope this was helpful and meaningful and hopefully it'll inspire and incite some action. And again, I'd be delighted to hear more from you all out there, especially my colleagues who have much, much more expertise in this area than I do. Um, Neil, just thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for what you've been doing. It sounds like it's a struggle and I appreciate your your perseverance. Uh, I, for one, like I said to you when we spoke a few days ago, anything I could do to help out, please let me know. And Neil, as I do every episode on this podcast, I have to take a moment to thank all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients. And those of you who are supporting those who are directly taking care of patients, I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is for individuals, families, communities, and our society. And I hope that you hear our conversation today in light of that, in light of the support uh, and the spirit of what you all are trying to do for your patients and to improve and optimize medical care and health care. This is Zev Neuwirth on Creating a New Healthcare. My friends, until next time, be well.